Friday, and obviously today we know uh, that we're celebrating and remembering and, and really coming together as a family around the resurrection uh, of Jesus today. And um, man, this weekend God's been doing something in my heart really tender. Uh, on Friday I was quite weepy, and I was really just felt the personal touch of Jesus, where I remembered when He'd changed my life, the encounters that I had with Him, where uh, He would show me His hands and His side. And I was reading again in John 20 when he reveals himself to his disciples. And he shows them his hands and his side. And it says that when they saw the Lord, they were filled with great joy. And it's amazing because that joy that hit my heart wasn't, it was a different kind of joy. It wasn't a joy that's just like, woohoo, yeah, it's amazing. It wasn't like that. It was actually this overwhelming sense of freedom and love and just wanting to hold him. That's what it felt. It was like, I don't know what the right response is. I just want to grab you and I don't want to let you go. Uh, and it's like this deep, deep love and intimacy with him. But he's been, over the last two days, he's just been ministering that to me. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm catching such a revelation more and more of the grace of God, what he wants to do on the earth, what he's doing through his church. And at the beginning of this year, we, uh, we spoke about how we really believe the Lord's preparing a bride for his glory. And we get to be a part of that as a community, and it's what we're going after. We use the language as a house, um, a bride for His glory, a body for His name, and a dwelling place for His presence. That's what we want to be, right? Um, and first and foremost, we exist for the Lord, and as the overflow of that, we, we actually touch nations and cities. That's what we believe. But um, I was just realizing more and more as I've had a fresh revelation in my own heart of the grace of God, and as we've been preaching that the last two or three weeks in our David's Tabernacle series, just little side detour there, but we're, we're going to finish that. But as we were preaching it, um, I just realized more and more that there really needs to be a, a continual revolution and transformation in our hearts where the grace of God sets us free. Um, I said it a couple of weeks ago, you know, with the COVID culture that came, and I remember I always say this, COVID was real. I'm not saying COVID is not a real disease, just the blood of Jesus is stronger. But um, with this disease came a culture, and it was a very legalistic culture, actually. Uh, live by these rules and regulations, and this is how it goes. And if you don't do that, you're actually labeled a certain type of person. And, uh, and so it's amazing how that can creep into your mentality and thinking without realizing you can start to actually think like that in your Christian walk. And so let me say it like this. When we talk about law and grace, law is anything. I mean, we know it's the Ten Commandments, 613 laws. But anywhere in your Christian life where you think you have to prove something to God is legalism. Anywhere where you feel you have to do something to get God to do something, or you have to prove yourself or, 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 or show Him something to get Him to move, it's legalism that's crept into our hearts. And, um, you know, a year ago when I was in Turkey, the Lord said to me, this is the beginning of 2021, He said to me, I want to teach you three things. And they were the most simple three things that really rocked my heart. And I've been stuck there, and He keeps bringing me back. He said, I want to teach you three things. The first one, I want to teach you how to abide. And I was like, okay, Lord, I love that message and, you know, John 15. And, but he said, I want to teach you how to abide. The second one is he said, I want to teach you how to read the Word. And I was like, Lord, this is like kids' church, right? And he said, the thir third thing is I want to teach you the power of the gospel. And I treated those three things as so simple, and it just shows you how we, you know, we sometimes overcomplicate the gospel when we get sucked into these things. But he, he over the last year, keeps bringing me back to those three things. And this weekend, I came back to that. And uh, hearing my dad just share on the saving grace of God. Um, you know, when we talk about grace, I just want to make this clear. There's not like two types of grace. 
You don't get like, you know, saving grace and then empowering grace, and they're like two different things. It's the same thing, but we teach it saving grace and empowering grace because grace does these things in our lives. It saves us, but it also empowers us. And so we want to teach those things because often what happens is when you emphasize how He saved you and you stay there, sometimes you get people that take that message a little bit left, and then it's like, well, we can just do whatever we want to do, and it's all good. But that's how good grace is. Grace is so good that, that you could actually get to that place and ask that question, and, and the reality is you're still completely covered by Him. You can actually get to the place where you go, well, so if I just continue in sin, um, you know, he, he still loves me. Yeah, He does. I'll try this side. <laughs> the reality is the grace of God is so good. Okay, we, let's, let's go. we're going to go for it. We're going to preach grace. The grace of God is so good. I haven't even got to the cross yet. The grace of God is so good that you could continue in sin, and when he looks at you, he still sees his son. We have to get that one in our, in our heart. Now, it doesn't make sin okay. It doesn't justify sin. It just means that he dealt with sin so severely. We heard it on Friday. The full wrath of God was poured out on his son to remove sin. Meaning, we read out of Romans 7 that actually the law makes you aware of your sin, so it creates sin consciousness. But Christ actually took that away. And so we're not called to live sin conscious. Now, the problem is if we don't preach the message of grace and the gospel in its fullness, we'll just stay there and then we don't know what to do with it. But what we don't understand is that that same grace also empowers you to be who God created you to be and designed you to be from the very beginning. And this happens through the Holy Spirit. And so when you see that Jesus has died and, uh, and He's taken on every bit of sin, and, and we were gonna, we've been nervous to kind of go this route, but I'm going to just say it like this to really, really uh, pu- push the point home. He didn't just take your sin, He became it. Um, because we couldn't become his righteousness if he didn't become what we were. There was this exchange. So, thanks. Thank you. So, he took on addiction as if he was the addict himself. That's, that's how he conquered it. I don't know if you understand this. It's like, I think sometimes we have this very traditional picture of what Jesus did, and we think, like, thank God that he came and he paid a price and he just covered it and dealt with it. No, he took it upon himself and became what you were so that you could become what he is. So when that hits my heart, I go, hold on. It, it's, why, it's why the cross sets you free. Because, because if we don't preach it like this, then what you've got is a bunch of people walking around with a, a message in their mouth and no freedom in their heart. They can, they can share the message of the cross, but it hasn't become real to their lives. They're not actually free. Can I just say this? It's not normal for Christians to live in bondage. Let's break that. It's actually not normal. It's not, it, shouldn't be even, it should be so foreign and shocking to us because there is no ways that Jesus goes through what he goes through only to make it difficult for you to walk in what he paid for. Right? So when you think like this, it begins to challenge your heart because you go, why, why do we see very scary statistics in the church of struggle and sin and all these different things. And I believe the answer is not because we've been too sloppy with grace. I believe it's because we haven't preached it in its fullness. The answer is not to, to, to bring law back to get the church the act together. The answer is actually to preach the gospel, the grace of God that truly sets you free and liberates you into what He's called you to. So He became your sin. It's why he was, he was marred beyond description. That, it wasn't just because of the beatings. It wasn't just because he was whipped so bad that you couldn't recognize him. He took on every bit of separation for all of time upon himself. Like I, when I think about this, my, my, why I got so tender on Friday was it was, like, it was like I heard it for the first time again. 
And that's been my prayer. Like, Lord, can I, will, you, will you preach the gospel to me daily? Because I need to get this in me. It's the, this is why Paul says I preach nothing, preach nothing but Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Why? Because this is the essence of our lives. That he took upon himself every bit of separation. Anything that could ever hinder you from God or separate you from him, he took it upon himself. Sickness, sin, disease, infirmity, poverty. He took it upon himself, right? And I think the, the, the scary thing is that we, I've noticed this even in my own life, we get to the Friday where we begin to celebrate that he died on the cross. And on the Friday, we're already singing um, that he's risen. <laughs> and I get it because he is. But I think it, it painted this picture in my head of how quickly we are ready to celebrate in his resurrected life, but we're not ready to celebrate in the fact that we died. Are you with me? It's like we get to these times, when we think about the cross, the emphasis is automatically on the fact that he took my stuff away and I'm alive, and thank God I can still be here, rather than, hold on a second, before I can get to resurrection life, I have to get to a crucified life. That's, that's the cross. It's like I find joy and, and celebration in my heart to die with him by faith. You know, when you study the history of the church, the, the writers... What they used to write about the crucified life, I mean, I love to go back and read, even just in the last two, three hundred years, some of the writings around the crucified life, there was this deep desire to understand what has happened to me now that I've died in Christ and then been raised. And, and many of them would label it the deeper Christian life, because there was, and, and it's not actually deeper, it's, it is the Christian life, but they would label it deeper because Christianity became so tame, so traditional and so religious. But the reality is when you understand what Jesus has done, I promise you, when there's a death to yourself and you've died with Christ, there's a deep longing and a hope in the resurrection life, but there is an expectation and an understanding that I cannot ever be the same again. So when we understand the truth of the cross, it's impossible to make grace a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's just impossible. It's like the only way grace could ever be that is if you don't know what happened on the cross. If we preach grace without death and resurrection, it's not grace. It's not the gospel. You know, we, we talk about saving grace. We talk about empowering grace. Do you know what I've noticed in the church for years and years and years is that because of our fear of people mishandling or abusing the, the fact that you're saved by grace no matter what, we quickly reach for empowering grace before getting the revelation of acceptance grace, that you've been accepted in the beloved. So we quickly reach for empowering grace, what grace is going to enable you to do. And because we reach there before we've got the acceptance, salvation, uh, you're right with God, righteousness part, when we reach to that too quickly, what we don't understand is the law disguises itself in that place. And so now we're, it's, we, under the guise of empowering grace, we're actually putting law back on each other. And I, I want to just say this to you, you know, last night I actually had such a uh, just this revelation, I was thinking about people that I've met and people that I've seen ministers who I look at them all and I see the exact same nature. I, I know we've had a chance to meet lots of different speakers, but I can, I can pick out maybe 10 Christian speakers and ministers where I look at them and I go, you're the same. It's like, it's funny, I think about Mama Heidi, I think about David Hogan, I think about Dan Mola, I think about Rob Rufus and Finney and Izzy and all these people that we love and that have ministered in, into our lives. But I look at this and I go, I see the same marks in every single one of them. It's like there's a uniqueness in, in the expression that it comes out, but it's, I look into their eyes, I see the same thing. 
And so I, I, I'm, I'm realizing more and more, I'm looking at this, I'm going, the grace of God, the anointing of what happens when you're raised with Him, it does something to you. And we cannot settle for anything less than that. It's like there's an ache and a groan and a longing in my heart, like, God, let it not be okay to, to title myself Christian but not be a son. Let it not be okay for me to, to carry the, the, the religion or the, the name of Christianity, but the reality is I, I don't know what it's like to be in Him and like Him. And if I can just say this very quickly, the reason why those three things have been so important, what the Lord spoke to my heart, was abiding is actually everything. You, you, don't, you don't live or walk in the Christian life without abiding. Mama Hadi says it like this. She says, fruitfulness flows from intimacy. And, and she shared that out of John 15. But what, I, what really grips me is this is the thing about abiding. Abiding is when you're always receiving. So I was processing this last night. I was saying, Lord, what stops the church from walking in the resurrection life of Jesus, living in the grace of God, and seeing that glory to glory, continuing to walk into Christ, seeing the anointing of Christ in our lives, becoming like Him every day? What stops that? And I realized it's because we become so connected to the things of this world. And we stop being connected to the vine. And if you actually read John 15, it's not just a random context of Scripture. He's, he's in a whole long teaching here. He's explaining something. And he's talking about how to live. He's actually talking about what it's going to look like now to live when he goes and you have the Holy Spirit. He's saying, hey, I want you to abide in the vine. And when you do that, you'll be fruitful. And it's my desire for you to be fruitful. It's God's desire for you to be fruitful. But you can't be fruitful outside of him. And so we were in Romans 5 on Friday, and we were talking about how the righteousness of God, it's a gift, it's a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't achieve it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the righteousness of God is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Do you see what I mean why we can't? It's so difficult to move on from just that. Because I say it, and most of your minds are not even in this room. I'm not being horrible. I'm just, I know, I know the feeling. I know what happens when you're sitting and we've got good at listening to sermons. So I felt a, like a sense of like, I don't even know how to describe it, but a nervousness not to speak, but to come up and share because I'm like, I, I don't want to come ever and go, here's a good Resurrection Sunday preach. And you, you go home and you're still stuck. Like uh, my prayer today is like, God, you're anointing. We need your anointing. We need, do you know what the anointing is? The anointing is the Holy Spirit manifesting Christ in you and upon you. That's what the anointing is. So I, I can preach a great sermon this morning, and the reality is you, you'll enjoy it for an hour, and maybe you'll be touched for an hour. But it's the anointing that sets you free for a lifetime. That's why I stopped, because I, I, we got into that routine there of like, you're just listening to me. Nice job. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not interested in impressing anybody. Paul says this. He says, am I still trying to please man? If I were doing so, I'd not be a bondservant of Christ. So my heart this morning, I'm going, God, I need this to hit my heart. I need the revelation of the righteousness of God to hit my heart. I have been saved by grace through faith. The reality is right now, when you look at me, you see the perfection of your son. And I haven't even got to him being raised yet. That's just because he died. 
Do you understand what we're saying? It's like it's Ephesians 1, it talks about you're accepted in the beloved. Full stop. You're accepted. No matter what you do, as long as you believe in Christ, you are accepted. If you're accepted, nobody can reject you. No one can take that away from you. Christ is your treasure. It'll never be taken away from you so long as you believe. You're found in Him. You're rooted in Him. You're established in Him. You're seated in heavenly places. This is where we live. If we ever move from receiving this finished work of the cross, we can never step into the actual works of what Jesus wants. This is why we're still, we're still working towards greater works, greater things. We've seen glimpses of it across the earth, but there's coming a movement of the Holy Spirit across the earth where we'll begin to see signs and wonders and miracles far beyond our wildest dreams. And what we need is a church that knows how to live in the all-sufficiency of Christ, how to eat from the tree of life, receive who He is, receive His nature, walk in His righteousness. And when we come from that place, we can begin to walk in obedience. You know, we've got this um, saying we say as Christians that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? Faith is spelled risk. I'm realizing more and more, faith is only a risk if you don't believe His promises to be true. Faith is only a risk if you're not 100% certain that what He said is true. I'd rather say faith is spelled (laughs) O-B-E-Y. Right? It just changes things because it's like like to receive the all-sufficiency of God is not a risk. I think that's the danger, actually, is that the church lives almost like, I really hope this is true. Rather than, I can receive the finished work of Jesus. I am right before God. I'm righteous. His blood covered me. His body was broken for me. He took my place. He became everything that I was outside of God so that I could become everything He is inside of God. And if I really believe that, then I have an expectation that my life is going to become more and more like Him the more I breathe. We, we built it up. Romans 5 talks about how we've, we've received this righteousness. My dad touched on Romans 5, Romans 7. And we get to Romans 6, and this question is asked. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I love this. Do you know that it's twice in this chapter that he asked that question? In other words, the, the saving grace of God is so outrageously scandalous and wild and beautiful and incredible that it forces you to ask the question, should I just continue in sin so that I can keep having your grace? I don't think you understand what I'm saying. Paul's going like, the the, the message of Christ, when you preach it in its fullness, the first part of it gets you to a place where you go, hold on a second, that means I can just do whatever the heck I want, and you still say that I'm righteous? Yes. There's more, but I almost want to let it hang so that it hits your, your mind. Right? Yeah. There's more. But you need to understand that. Paul's literally saying, he's like that. It's, it's going to force that question in your heart. Like, hold on. If you, this is such good news that you're saying, if I actually don't even do anything with this, but I just believe in him, you would, you're going to count me righteous, God. In my deepest, darkest, most horrific, evil moment in my life, if I believe in Christ, I'm righteous. And so he asked this question, but listen to the answer. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And here's what I mean when, when you preach the grace of God outside of the cross, you get confused. Because here's Paul saying, he's saying it's so good that it'll get you to a place where you actually start to question, hold on, 
sin, where does, that, where does God stand on sin now? That's actually where it gets to. Then he's saying, how can you, who died, you were crucified with Christ. Remember Friday? <laughs> you died with him. And you were raised, I don't know if you, like, if you understand death. Dead. Finished. Right? Dead. So he's saying, if you're dead, and the only way you become alive again is by being raised with Christ into His likeness in life, how is it possible for that person to continue in sin? Not because there's an expectation now that you were given a second chance to get your act together, but because you have the Spirit of Christ in you who is going to produce a nature, and that nature is the nature of Christ. And so if we understand this is Christianity, if we understand this, if this is what Jesus paid for, then I promise you what you're going to see because of the goodness of God is a pure and radiant and beautiful bride. Not because I need to make sure that you get your act together and I just want to let you know if you have any secret sin in your life, make sure you deal with that because you'll never walk in God's plan for you if you're still in that sin. That's just not the gospel. If there's anything that we can come before, to, come before the Lord and, and confess, it's our unbelief. As we come and say, Lord, I, 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 I'm realizing that I have not walked in faith in who you say that I am. If I walk in, in who you say that I am, I know what I'm going to become. It's going to look like Jesus. That's why when you see people who have caught this revelation, one life makes such a radical impact and change on the earth because it's not them. They are living in the anointing of Christ. And so he says this, and then he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We've just said this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, Paul's really clear. We should just read our Bibles, eh? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, and death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Listen to this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the message of grace. He's saying the good news of, of the grace of God is that you died to all of those things, all those horrible things that try to make you who you are, that defined you outside of Christ. Dead. Now you've been raised to life in Him and you're living unto Him. The direction of your life has changed. If you're living towards God, where's your gaze? Him. You're not looking at your mistakes. You're not looking at your past. You're not even looking at yourself. You're looking at Him. The transformed life doesn't come from trying to get your act together. It comes from receiving who He is, looking at Him, moving in newness of life towards everything that He says that you are. And as you're doing that, guess what you're becoming? More and more like Christ. I want to keep it as simple as possible. I mean, listen to this, uh, verse 17 but thanks be to God that you who once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What do you think he's talking about? See, I want to make this very clear and we'll unpack this more and more. The law is not evil. It's just, let's make sure we understand why it was introduced. I love, we, can I just say this very quickly? The covenant God made with Abraham, 
where he said, you're my friend and you're righteous simply because you believe, right? You were a pagan, idol worshiper, and I asked you just to believe in me and what I say about you, and if you do so, I'll call you righteous. And Abraham did. Then we see there's this covenant of Moses that comes in, which is the Lord. Do you know that that covenant didn't cancel out Abraham's covenant? How do you think David accessed grace? Under the law. He accessed a covenant that was made with Abraham, which was before the law. God's heart before he gave the law was actually to call you righteous because you believe. You have to understand this. So when you understand the law was given what? To actually show you your need for him, that you're never going to do this. It's the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your attempt at Christ's likeness never meets the standard. My dad said something so powerful on Friday, we're going to unpack this. And I've studied the thing that you asked me to study. We'll get to it. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is actually revealing the standard. He's saying, the Pharisees are going, here, yeah, this is the law, and we, we keep all 613 and 10 laws, and it's this external thing, but inside they're actually sick, right? And so Jesus comes, and he, and he begins to share, and he's saying, actually, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you even have the, the feeling or the thought to kill somebody, you're already a murderer. And then he says this, he says, if your, if your left hand or your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off. Do you really think Jesus is teaching that what the church is going to look like is a bunch of <laughs> amputated people because they've had to cut off and pull eyes out. And... So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, I'm S- Jesus, this is before he's died. He's teaching into the context of the law, and he's saying, let me make it very clear to you that the law is n- not just this external thing of you covering up, making sure you seem right. If it's in your heart, you've missed it. So he's saying, you need a savior. This is not my heart for you to live under the law. It's why I'm going to touch on your, the question. In the Lord's Prayer, when he says, um, forgive us our, our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those. Do you know that we call it the Lord's Prayer? It's not really his prayer. Oh. And I'm, I'm not being, um, this is not heresy or whatever. It's everything that, those red letters, everything that Jesus said, we got, it's his words. We take it very seriously. Just make sure you put it in context into what he's teaching. He's literally preparing a people because he's about to fulfill his plan. And he's talking into a context of legalism and pharisaical mentality. That's what he's talking into. And so he says he's, he's teaching them in that context how to pray. And he makes this point. Now, what do you think he's exposing? He's saying, he's teaching them to pray. He says, Father, forgive us our debts or our trespass or our sin as we forgive those. In other words, what he's saying is you are only forgiven under the law. You are only forgiven to the degree which, which you forgive. So it can't be the fullness of his plan, because then the moment that I have unforgiveness in my heart to any of you, I'm going to hell. Are you catching what I'm saying? So he's actually teaching them, he's exposing them, he's saying, do you realize that you need me? Do you understand that my heart isn't for you to keep the law? The law was there to show you that actually this, the law was there to show you what sin actually is. The law was there to show you who you are outside of Christ, but that's never been God's plan for you. So, you have to take all of those things, because it's interesting, the Beatitudes, what does he, he emphasize in the Beatitudes? Weakness. He's like, the, the people who are blessed, are the one, when you read it, you're like, but that sounds like a bunch of wimps. 
poor in spirit, those who mourn. And I, I read this, and I go, wow, this is interesting that, that he's talking to this legalistic context, and he's emphasizing weakness. Why? He's saying, when you're weak, I'm strong. When, it's actually, when you're dependent on me, those are the ones who inherit the fullness of what I've paid for. Not the ones who outwardly seem like they're doing all this stuff and trying to prove themselves, but inwardly actually are completely wayward. Are you catching what I'm saying? So the Lord's Prayer and, and that whole section is actually Jesus ministering the fullness of what the law actually means, what it's actually going to do in your heart. And then what's beautiful is that we understand that after the cross, that law has now been written on our hearts and our minds. In other words, it's not something that you try to do now. It's who you've become through Christ. Because, and I'll use forgiveness as an example, forgiveness on the other side of the cross is that you have been forgiven fully, once and for all, and it's because of that that you can forgive others. Your forgiveness here is not measured by this forgiveness anymore. That's under the law. But under, the, under the, uh, the grace of God, after He's been resurrected and you're in Him, now it's what He's done for you. That's how you measure what happens here. Well, He's forgiven me completely, which means I can forgive others completely. Catching what I'm saying. There's so much in that, but we'll get to it eventually. It's interesting that in um, Romans 7 it says this. Uh, Romans 7 verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I find it interesting that we're afraid to teach the grace of God because we're worried that people are going to get all wishy-washy with sin and whatever. And I'm going, it's amazing that the new way of the Spirit actually produces Christ-likeness. But we're afraid to preach that. It's, it blows my mind. It's like... We, 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 want to throw a, we want to do a cocktail of grace and law just to make sure we just keep the line straight in the church. It's like God loves you so much, make sure you deal with that secret sin, but He really loves you. And then the thing is, what we do is we've got this really confused church because they're like, He loves me, but can I go in? Wait, but I, I don't know if I've dealt with that sin. Then we get up and tell you to confess your sins, and now you're thinking, which ones? Uh, this one? Which one? Is that worse? Is that... And then now you think that we actually get to decide which ones actually separate us. That's not the gospel. Jesus paid it the price once and for all. He's covered the whole thing. The, the, you know, it's like if you me messed up today, it's like you think that one shocked him. That you've got to come to church and make sure he remembers that one. I'm not sure if you remembered that one on the cross, Lord. No, he paid the price. So what's the fullness of the gospel is that we've been redeemed and set free from ourselves. We're alive to God, and it's the Spirit of Jesus that's producing Christ in us. So that's why you see in Romans 7, I mean, the whole thing is, is so good. I used to be very scared of re reading Romans 7 because I'd read it and go, like, that's me. I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do, and you're like, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm like, that's, I relate, right? And if you just read it like that, you miss it, but if you read the whole book, but, but specifically 5, 6, 7, 8 in context, you read and you go, hold on a second. He, Romans 7 is not where I'm called to live. But what's so beautiful is Romans 7 actually set me free because he said, in my heart, I actually, I agree with, I believe in the ways of God, but my, my flesh actually goes against God. And so he's saying, so it's not actually me who's doing this stuff. I love this man. 
This is Paul in Romans 7. It's not actually me who's sinning. It's the sin nature in me. Meaning you're actually created to be like God. Because that's how he created you in the garden. So in Romans, I mean, this, is, this blows my mind. Like, how can we not preach grace if Paul, even in Romans 7, is separating your sin from your identity straight away? He's going like, it's not even me who's doing the sin. It's the sin nature in me. And then, wretched man that I am, where's the hope? How do I get free from the sin nature? Thanks be to God. Let's read it. Listen to this. Verse 22, chapter 7, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he's going, okay, well, so my mind wants to do the right things, my flesh wants to sin. Verse 1, chapter 8. What's God's response to that? This blows my mind. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's his answer to the law. There's no condemnation. You are not guilty. My dad said it so well on Friday. He said, when the Lord inspects you, he only looks at the lamb. And it's the slaughtered lamb. He inspects the lamb. Which means as long as the lamb, which is Jesus, is perfect, which he will be for all of eternity, I'm right with God. But, how beautiful is this? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now we're talking kingdom. Now we're entering into the life of Christ. Now we're entering into what it means to be raised with Christ. It means this. It means I cannot, I'm not normal. I am not normal. I have no expectation for my life to be normal. I am a supernatural, Holy Ghost filled, vibrant, radiant, on fire, burning lover of Jesus. Wherever I go, I'm in love with Him. I'm right with Him. And as long as I'm receiving, the all sufficiency of Christ will flow through me. I don't need deliverance 17,000 times to get free. I just need to believe in the finished work of the cross, receive it, and walk in it. Uh. Listen to this. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Um, our Bibles, it's just so clear. It's like, it's like, why would we go back to these things when God's going like, I did what the law couldn't do. In other words, the law was not God. The law was the standard of holiness. And the law is not bad. It has a purpose, as long as we keep it in that purpose. Actually, see, here's the thing. The law, my dad said on Friday, the law actually convicts unbelievers of the need for Christ. It's why we have to preach Friday before we preach Sunday. Otherwise, if you just preach Sunday, it's just, just come and just receive, accept Christ, raise your hand, accept Him, and your life's going to be amazing. And so what happens is you've got people that come and they never actually experience true born-again experience. Because they didn't understand that it's a death first before there's resurrection life. So he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Oh my goodness. You didn't do it though, but it's fulfilled in you. He did it. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in you because of what he did. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to 
the Spirit. There is no outworking of resurrection life without the Holy Spirit. If you jump down, uh, sure, you should read this whole book. Um, yeah, do it again. And again. Listen to this, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, you don't have to be stuck in Romans 7 where you want to do one thing and your flesh does the other because the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is actually going to give His life to your mortal body meaning your fleshly, mortal, earthly body can become an actual temple of the Lord that's hosting the Spirit of God, hosting the presence of the Lord, walking in the supernatural power of His kingdom and seeing God demonstrated on the earth. That should be our expectation as the people of God. If you catch this today, Monday is going to change a lot for you. Were you walking to work on Mondays? Obviously, it's a holiday tomorrow, but Tuesday or whenever, when you walk into to work, something changes when you understand this. You can't get rocked. You can't, the world can't knock you to and fro because it's, my joy isn't found in this world. You can take everything from me, but you'll never take the fact that I'm right with God. You can never take my peace. You can never take my joy. You could take all my money, and you would never take my provision. <laughs> you, do you see what I'm saying? See, this is why it's like when we talk about suffering, if you talk about suffering in the context of the grace of God, this is why you see Paul and these guys who could endure the things that they endured. Why? They, were, they had divine access to the fullness of heaven. It's what sustains them. They were living by the very substance of God in their lives. It's why you can get whipped and beaten and stoned and tossed out and you're just about dead, raised from the dead. You get them, you walk straight back into the city because there's something else inside of you. It's not just you. It's the Spirit of Christ. See, if, if Jesus says in John 20, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you or commissioning you, it's only possible by His Spirit. Sure. There's so much. In 2 Corinthians 5. All of this is so good, but it says in verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin. He made him to be sin. Not just to take sin, to be sin, right? Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 6 actually talks about us becoming weapons of righteousness. I, see, it's like the groan in my heart is I'm realizing the Lord's going, um, you know, we, we want to get to this place of actually being weapons of righteousness, where God can actually use you as a weapon of His righteousness on the earth, bringing the kingdom of God. And we think to do that, we have to move on from saving grace and get to empowering grace. They're not separate. And if you're not living in, uh, receiving and living in the finished work of the cross, you can never walk into the outworking of His righteousness in and through your life. You know, I, I, uh, I, I was listening to Catherine Coleman. And she said something so profound, and I've heard it many times, but it just hit me different this time. She's talking to a group of young people. Um, many of you will probably have watched this clip. It's probably one of the most famous clips of her preaching. But she's talking about the Holy Spirit, and she, she looks at this crowd of young people, and she says, there's not a single person in this room who can't have what I have. 
I mean, she's talking to a whole couple hundred people, and she goes, every single one of you can have what I have. It's completely available to you. She goes, but I fear that many will not pay the price. And I'm like, wow, because I'm going, Lord, you, you, it's amazing that you've given us this free gift. You've freely given us righteousness. So, so what's the price? And it's amazing that then she says, she says, you see Catherine Coleman who comes and stands up on a stage and miracles and the signs and wonders begin to move. And you see all of that. You see the glamour and the wow, and it's incredible. She says, what you don't see. She says, Catherine Coleman died a thousand deaths before she stood on any stage. What's the price? The price is to choose to stay in that place of dying by faith to who you are outside of Christ and living in that abiding place of receiving who he is. Because then she goes on to say this, and most people don't listen to the rest of this. They can quote what I just said, but what she goes on to say, she says, when I come up and begin to minister, she steps up into the anointing and she says, I literally stand and watch the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. She says, I am as much a witness of these miracles as you are. That's the anointing. Do you know, I was really moved, if you really understand this, if we, can, if we can get this foundation strong in our lives and live in this, do you know that in the anointing, you can know things that other people don't know? Like the, the anointing takes you to a level of wisdom and understanding in the Lord. And this is what I find so interesting. The church wants the anointing, but they, they're, they're afraid to go and actually pay the price of death to yourself and life in Christ. I want to see, I want to be equipped to prophesy and to operate in my gifts and to do all of those things, but, I, um, but you've been preaching this message over and over again. I'm tired of that. All I get when I come to 24-7 is the cross and the resurrection and grace, and, and you just keep preaching that. I want to be equipped. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm not being horrible. I'm just saying this is what we do, right? I want to be equipped. Well, guess how, you, how you're equipped. You know, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when I'm looking at Jesus in the Gospels, I'm incredibly offended and like just undone by the way that he did things. Because I'm going, Jesus, you're, you're about to birth a movement that's going to change the whole world, right? Surely you would give some really specific instructions to your guys as to how you want this thing to go. I actually like, I, I begged. I'm like, Lord, show me the scripture. I want to know how you want this thing to look. And this is Jesus, over and over and over again. He's going, I'm going to go, and I'm going to leave you the helper. And it's better for me, or better for you that I go, that you receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's the spirit of truth who will lead you into all truth, right? In other words, there's only one requirement. There's just one thing. It's the only thing that I need you to get. Make sure you do nothing until you receive this, the Holy Spirit. When you've received him, just trust him. It just blows my mind. It's like, how do you equip people? Well, yes, we've got to teach, and I agree with all that, but actually, we've got to make sure that the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's why Paul works into Ephesians, walks into Ephesus, and the first question he asks is, have you received the Holy Spirit? And the question is, who's he? I didn't even know there was such a thing. And he says, well, what were you baptized into? I was baptized into repentance with John's baptism, and he says, okay, no, we've got, let's, let me teach you the fullness of the gospel. John was preparing the way for Christ, but actually what Jesus brought was a death to yourself, a new life in him, and you'll get filled with his spirit. And then when that happens, guess what happens to Ephesus? Acts 19, it gets rocked. Entire industries of witchcraft and idolatry come crumbling down. In two years, the whole west coast, I want you to go look at a map, the whole west coast of modern-day Turkey, in two years, the whole thing heard the gospel. 
It's in your Bible, Acts 19. Uh, do, do you see what that does? Like, that gets me excited. I go like, oh my goodness, Lord. If I, if, I can under, if I receive and get revelation of what you've done for me and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, my expectation goes to a whole new level because I am, I am actually now realizing we're naturally supernatural. I have a supernatural expectation. It's like if, we, if the church is filled with the Spirit of God, within two years, South Africa should be rocked. And the difference is that we have to allow Holy Spirit to, to crucify in us all the stuff, all the junk. Because again, I can see it in some of our eyes. It's like we get stoked about that part. I'm going to be full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be used by God to do all these incredible things. Just make sure it's birthed in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so Jesus... I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but when you actually read the Bible, when he was raised from the dead, I mean, first when he died, the, the uh, curtain was torn in two, there was, the earth shook, uh, it was just incredible, and, and the reality is, um, you know, in that process when he was raised from the dead, there were actual dead people who were raised from the dead walking around Jerusalem. Can you imagine, like someone's been dead for 50 years, and the next thing they're in the street, how's it? Yeah, I was at your funeral 25 years ago. I'm just, it's like, it's so phenomenal. It's so supernatural. It's so, by the way, that's in your Bible. Some of you are looking at me like, that sounds like heresy. Go read it. But it's just incredible to see what, what Jesus did. You, this is why your facial expressions are important. Because if you look at me weirdly, then I say stuff like I just said. <laughs> but the reality is, it's so supernatural. It's so incredible. It's so powerful. Do you know something that rocked me is like Mary Magdalene, when she comes and, and she's weeping, she sees the two angels and, and, they, and then she turns and it's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him at first. She thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> I, I, one day I'll ask her, Mary, really? You know, the gardener. Like, and then suddenly she realizes it's him. I'm like, I, I want to know what that whole thing was like. What did he look like, right? You're the gardener, but then a rabbi. But it's funny, before she realizes it's Jesus, you know what she says? She's like, did you take his body? Give it to me. <laughs> Have you ever thought, like, this is what's so beautiful. I, I heard a preacher talk about this. He said, what was she going to do with it? <laughs> like, do you see what happens to people who are just so, they realize he's my only hope. I have no life outside of him. It's like, I don't, it's not even logical. It's just so supernatural. It's like, do, did you take his body? Give it to me. Now. What, this lady's going to drag this body. If, imagine, like, what's going through her head? What's she going to do with it? But there's just something in her heart of, like, he's mine. And this is the heart of the lovers of God. It's like, it's like when you truly encounter Jesus and he says to you, I made you righteous and I've given you my righteousness, it's only people who don't know God that don't want it. No, I'd rather achieve it in my own strength. That can't be God. No, when you really know God, you go, he's mine. He's made a way for us to be one. He's mine. I want to walk in that. And so when you read John 15 in this context, God wants you to bear fruit because of the resurrection of Jesus, what he's done for us, that we, we live in that life. But it comes from staying in a place of receiving the all-sufficiency of Jesus, the grace of God, and letting that be the very source of power that enables us to live the Christian life. And that bride is holy and beautiful and pure. Why? Because of Jesus, not because of our own attempt.
that bride will say yes to the nations. That bride will say yes to their city, yes to the spheres of influence that God's given them. Why? Because it's not even their own attempt at obedience. They've received the very nature of Christ. It's His obedience in us. It's that people that are unshakable. So the death and resurrection of Jesus is not a story to behold. He's alive in you. And if you're sitting here today and you're going like, I don't think I have that. Well, then you can. And that's the reality. It's like God's heart is that all would come to know him. He doesn't want anyone to perish. My dad said on, on, on Friday, hell wasn't made for or created for man. It's for the devil and, and, and his, the demons, those that have rebelled and rejected him. Man was, that was not created for man. But if God doesn't give you a choice, you'll never know love. It takes two to make love known. That's why I don't understand this whole argument about like, well, if God, you know, why would he give us choice if, if we could, some of us would go to hell? Does he really love us? I'm like, you would never know love if you didn't get to choose him. He didn't come back. He's not coming back for Jesus robots and all just do the same thing. He's coming back for a group of people that are in love with him, that chose him because they saw him, they encountered him. And the only reason why people aren't choosing him is because they haven't seen him. And yes, this is what's very sad is that there are those who will reject him. But not us. That's my cry. I'm like, Lord, mercy. See, because mercy doesn't give you what you deserve. And grace gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is, is what restrains the wrath of God. It's, it's what Jesus embodied. It's the mercy of God. Grace is that he's actually given you himself when you didn't deserve it. That no matter what, he looks at you and says, you're mine. You look like me. I love you. See, if you understand this, there is no hindrance to your relationship with God. Because when you understand this message, you'll really believe that you can hear him. Most people don't hear God because they don't realize they were born to hear him. You're made to hear him. In other words, I wake up and I have faith that I hear God. He's inside of me and I'm designed to hear him. So my landing strip has changed. It's not a landing strip of doubt and questioning God. It's a landing strip of I believe. So when he speaks, I'm ready to hear. And then I want to just say this just to equip you. You know, we have five senses in the natural. And I believe in the spirit is very similar. It's like sometimes we think, well, I've stopped seeing. God's not talking to me anymore. Are you hearing? Are you discerning? Are you touching him? Because the devil can't stop all of that. <laughs> I just I used to have all these visions and, and I just don't see anymore. Are you hearing? Because I've had times where the Lord doesn't speak something directly to me, but I feel him. It's like, Lord, what should I do in this situation? And I just go, oh, he's here. I feel peace. Okay, Lord, I can walk. So you were made to hear God because of what he's done for you. The finished work of the cross has done everything. There is nothing left to do other than believe. Only believe. And you'll step into all that God has for you. And so now you've got to take this message and you go straight into the secret place with Jesus. And you say, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. If there's any unbelief in my heart where I have not believed the finished work of the cross, Lord, I repent. Help me in my unbelief. I want to believe, and I do believe. And by faith, you apprehend, you take a hold of what he has freely given you. God wants you to take it. 